In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We spoke earlier about friendships and what they meant. But we also know that, that friendships don't just come with lots of benefits. There are also risks involved. And those risks are what we're used to referring to as peer pressure. And, and what's peer pressure? As defined in dictionary, it is social pressure by members of one's peer group to take a certain action or adopt certain values or otherwise conform in order to be accepted. So the three components here are it's pressure from one's social or peer group. The second thing is to adopt certain values. And the third thing is to conform to something so that you can be accepted. And that's why it's quite alarming. Because what friendship groups, what social groups will sometimes do is tell you that you are only accepted conditionally. Not for who you are, not for your own character, not for your own identity, not for what you believe in, not for what you think is right, but we will only accept you if you're exactly like us. You have to conform to this mindset, to this lifestyle. You have to conform due to this principle that we share. And if you want to be one of us, then you must share that as well. And so before putting yourself in a situation where you are a member of any sort of social group or friendship group or accepting relationships, I think one very important thing is we need to figure out exactly who we are. The most dangerous thing is to walk into a relationship or a group dynamic when you are uncertain of who you are. Because if you're uncertain, then you can quite easily be swayed and molded into something else totally or someone else totally. And that's where the danger comes. The danger comes in the fact that, yes, I'm going to go into this. I'm, I'm very open-minded. I'm very good-intentioned. I'm almost naive. But the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to go in with an open attitude to who I want to be. Now, if you're very lucky, you'll be attracted into a group that is good, that is faithful, that is honest, that is robust, that is principled, that will guide you in the right way. And that's how we grow, by surrounding ourselves with the right people. If you are not that lucky, you end up being dragged into a group that will lead you in the polar opposite direction. And you lose an even greater part of yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, or do, not, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, 
You are not your own, for you were bought, you were purchased at a price. That price was the incarnation, the crucifixion, the death. That's a huge price. So don't just live your life as if you are the be-all and end-all. You have a much greater value and a much greater importance. You have a much wider and broader identity than just to be that person. You have a meaning. God has put you here for a purpose. God has created you as part of a huge picture. And you have a particular space. It's particularly importance and indeed a particular function. Our God is not a God of randomness. He's very intentional in what he does. And the fact that he has created you to be who you are in this context, at this time, within this, within this culture, within this community, in his body, the fact that you are that, the fact that you have these characteristics, this identity, it's all for a reason. So don't just act like you're, you're your own. You can make your own independent decisions. Now, of course, you should make your decisions because God leaves you completely free to choose what you want. But those decisions need to be made on the basis of a firm understanding of who I am. So, of course, I am free to adopt whatever lifestyle I want, right? But the fact that I am who I am in the church, with you, in this position, with this function, means that I need to choose based on that. Because God wants something of me, just as God wants something of you. But if you walk into a dynamic that strips you of your value, that takes away your meaning, that imposes something totally new and totally random on you, then actually you're losing out. You're losing out because it's almost like these, these glasses were made, manufactured, to fulfill a particular purpose, and you suddenly decide that it's appropriate to take some black paint and paint the lenses. Now, they still look like glasses, they still fit like glasses, but actually, they don't fulfill the function of glasses. It's not what they're made for. And so what is it that God has made us for? That is one very important question we need to address. Saint Theophan, the recluse, says, the chief end of our life is to live in communion with God. So whatever the gift you're given, whatever the talent you're given, whatever you're born into, the chief end of your life is to live in communion with God. To this end, the Son of God became incarnate in order to return us to that relationship which we lost when we fell. 
And so these days, as we celebrate Advent, and as we go into the Feast of the Nativity, we've got to realize that all of this is about restoring us. We were created in one setting. We fell short. We fell. And then there was a huge distance. There was a separation. The incarnation came to resolve that separation. So that there was no longer a dividing presence in the relationship between us and God. So that we had the opportunity to reach his kingdom and reach salvation. And so it's great for us to decorate Christmas trees and buy presents and celebrate. It's great. Enjoy it. But don't forget that this season is about reconciliation. And it's a really serious season. It's, it's really easy for us to take Easter seriously. Because we have Holy Week before it, we have prayers, we focus, we reflect. I think sometimes we even focus too much on, on the suffering and forget that we're speaking about resurrection. But at least there's a, there's a lead up. Our lead up to Christmas, our lead up to the nativity, is decorations and Christmas trees and buying presents. And again, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a beautiful thing to celebrate. But celebrate the reality and the seriousness of this by realizing that God took flesh to restore us. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if I am going to live a godly life, if I'm going to be in godly relationships, if I'm going to have a godly support network, then surely at least some of these will be the fruits that come out of that relationship. But if you think of a social network you're part of or a social group you're part of, think about that and then think about each one of those. Is there love? And by love I mean selfless love, godly love, not just love for my own and those around me and sort of dismissing and alienating everybody else. Is there, is there joy? Not just joy that we're popular, but joy with others. Do I rejoice for others? Do I rejoice in others? Do I have a joy with our Lord Jesus Christ? Is a godly joy? And likewise, is there long-suffering? Am I tolerant? Or am I just very, very intolerant of anything else? Am I kind? Am I good? Am I faithful? Am I gentle? Do I exercise self-control? You have a huge problem on your hands if you go through this list and you tick the no box every time. What kind of relationship is that? What kind of end could that possibly bring? How can, can I be a godly person at the end of that? You've got to realize that to be a Christian sometimes is the exact opposite of what people expect you're going to be. 
Because sometimes people will think to be a Christian, you've got to be this person who goes along with everything and is just mild-mannered and you're compliant and you're just boring. Whereas actually we know that's not the truth. When we read the Synexarium at every liturgy, when we read the history of our saints, when we look at our Lord Jesus Christ himself, we realize that Christians were actually a bunch of rebels in a good way. Because they went against the grain of society. They lived a very different life to that which the world pushed them to. And in some cases, with our Lord himself and many of his followers throughout the 2,000 years that we've lived as Christians, in some cases, that led to the ultimate price of their lives. So when we live as Christians, we realize that there's such an important element of us understanding who we are. That's why in Romans 12 we read, do not be conformed to this world. And when we speak about world, we're not just talking about living this life, because this life is a good life. God created us in this world. God wants us to enjoy it. God creates good things. But do not be conformed to the worldly nature of this life, the material nature of this life, the, 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 the type of life that only focuses on the material, what I can touch, what I can see, what I can put in my pocket, what influence I have, what I'm wearing, where I'm living, what I'm driving. Because that life is, is consuming. Don't be conformed to that kind of life. Don't be conformed to such a different principle of who you should be. Don't be conformed to something that leads you in a very, very different direction. But be transformed. Okay, it's easy for you to say. But how am I going to be transformed? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Of course, if you have the same mind and the same mindset and the same direction, how is this transformative? It's not. But when you change your mind, when it's renewed, when it doesn't just focus on the material and the worldly, when it doesn't just focus on what I can touch and what I can buy and what I can wear and what I can use, when it focuses on something that is much broader, much more relevant, much more important, that is a transformation because the mind is renewed. So sometimes we need renewal, and that renewal is never going to happen if I'm in a group or in a relationship that just reinforces what I'm doing. We need to be challenged. I said earlier today that good friendships are those that can challenge you in the right direction. I, in my life, I've had some very good friends. And I've considered the best of them being those who challenge me. It's very easy to think you're always right. It's very easy to think that, well, that's fine. I, yeah, of course I am. I'm right. I can do this. Even if the whole world is against you, it's very easy to become Athanasius and say, yes, I am against the world. But actually in a very different direction. 
Because your people around you are saying to you, yeah, of course, of course, you're, you're different. Of course you've got to do this. But if I'm surrounded by the right people who say, well, actually, no. You know what? Your mind, your attitude, your direction, what you've been doing, the way you've been living, your choices, your objectives, your targets, they've all been off recently. What's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? And if you really trust these people, then you say, well, thank you for, thank you for telling me. There's that kind of relationship takes two very important characteristics. It takes a gracious honesty on one side and it takes a gracious humility and trust on the other. So the person who is saying is gracious and loving and honest and you can tell that they're telling you this because they care about you. Not because they just want to get their own way, not because they want to manipulate you into something, but they truly care about you. And then if you're being told this, then you need to be humble and trusting of this person to say, well, thank you. You know, my relationship with you, my experience of you, my knowledge of you tells me that this is exactly what I should be doing. So thank you very much. One of the biggest problems of group dynamics is what we call mob mentality, right? You, you sometimes do things and they can be in the very wrong direction. That's why it's always very, very dangerous to, to get into a situation where you're in a direction, you're going a certain way, and then suddenly someone reinforces that and you start to say something, and someone else says something, and someone else says something, and it just keeps spinning off each other. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows. That's what happens, you know, for instance, at demonstrations. You'll find the demonstration starting quite peacefully. And then suddenly someone goes in and says something, or does something, or instigates in some way. And this peaceful demonstration suddenly becomes aggressive, and it becomes violent. Why? It's a mob mentality. That's why St. John Chrysostom says to us, pay attention carefully. After sin comes shame. Courage only follows repentance. Did you not say, did you not pay attention to what I said? That Satan upsets the order he gives the courage to sin and then shame and repentance. So in this mob mentality, what happens is you're given courage to sin. You're given courage to go the other way. You're encouraged to do what's wrong. And then when you realize that maybe it was wrong, you suddenly think, well, hang on. How do I make this different? How do I go back on it now? How, how can I possibly... live the way I used to. And we find ourselves in the position of the prodigal son, where he was alone. He was first of all with his friends in the far country, wasted everything. Then he went and attached himself to a citizen and fed swine, and he was hungry. 
everything around him said to him, you have no way back. Everything around him said, this is now your life, choose it. Everything around him said, this is the way you'll be forever. And that's why St. John Chrysostom says, Satan upsets the order by giving us courage to sin. Yeah, go for it. How many times have we sinned and thought, I can do this? It's almost like a defiance. And he goes on to say, but the shame of to repent. So, I come to repent and think, I can't repent now. I've done too much wrong. I've changed my life too much. I can't do this anymore. Be careful. Be careful of those relationships that guide you in that way. If there is a relationship in your life that says to you, you have no way back, that says to you, there is no hope, that says to you that you are now who you are and you can't change that, then that is not the relationship you want to be in. Because the relationship you want to be in is one that challenges you not to be conformed to the sin of the world, but be transformed by the changing of your mind through repentance to the victory of salvation. If a relationship says that to you, then that's exactly what you follow. That's exactly what you should do. You know, we all want to be accepted, right? It's nice. Even from your youngest days at school, it's nice to be the popular guy, the popular girl on the playground. Where people accept you and they think you're nice and they think you're pretty and you think you're smart and they think you're intelligent and think you're cool. All those things that we like being thought of. But I hope that by now we've realized how fickle the world is, how transient fashions are, especially fashions of acceptance. I hope that by now we've realized how changeable people can be. And so someone who accepts you for who you are today and encourages you down that road, suddenly tomorrow thinks, no, 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 you're just not good enough for me. If I am going to set the understanding of who I am and the assessment of my acceptance based on just other people, then I'm going to be in serious trouble. Because as I said before, there are good people and bad people in your life. There are people who are of a great value and have a great reaction and there are others who are a total liability and will lead you in the wrong way. And so if you base who you think you are on other people, you have a 50-50 chance of getting it right or wrong. And sometimes it's worse than 50-50 because if you are surrounded by more destructive than constructive relationships, that proportion then rises significantly. Where should we get our sense of self-value, though? Get your sense of self-value from the person who knows you best. From the person who created you. 
The person who has known you ever since the beginning. The person who has known you even since you were born. Because this is the person who made you not only who you are, but who you in an ideal world should be. He's put you together. He's wired you in such a way as to make you the optimum person you can possibly be. He's put you together in such a way that you are the greatest you could possibly be. Now the greatest doesn't mean it has to be greatest in the eyes of the world. And quite often, the greatest is not going to be greatest in the eyes of the world. Some of you will know that I'm quite active on Twitter, right? So I want you to, to look at Twitter feeds. You look at the Twitter profiles. Who, what is the demographic of people who have the greatest followings? They're the celebrities. And why do they, <laughs> and, and why do they have the gross profiles, those followings? Well, if you're a Bieber fan, it's probably because you can throw eggs at his neighbor. I don't know. But, but the, you look at celebrity, and people want to live that fantasy of celebrity. But look at people who no one even knows, who are doing great work on a daily basis, touching lives, changing lives, transforming lives. People who are sacrificial. They may not have the same following or the same recognition or people may not even know who they are. But in the eyes of God, their creator, they have fulfilled the optimal place for who they are and how they're created. They have been exactly, they've become exactly who God wants them to be. Not for his own purposes, God doesn't benefit from us. But God wants us to be the best we can be. But if you have someone else who takes his or her gifts, that could be very good. Because let's face it, celebrities have gifts. They're charismatic, they, they attract people. But what do they do with this charisma? And I'm not saying by any means all, all celebrities are bad either, because some people do some very good work. Some people are very good role models. Some people present very good alternatives. But the kind of people I'm mentioning are people who have gifts. They use these gifts, but to what end? So what are you encouraged to do with your life? And who does the encouraging? Are you encouraged to be the best person you can be? Or are you encouraged to sell all of that short so you can be somebody else? And it will often come down to a very simple choice. Acts 5.29 But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. It comes down to that decision. The greatest deeds in the world, the greatest movements in the world, are made up of very minute good decisions. A good person doesn't just get branded a good person because you have this profile. A good person 
is seen to be a good person because people see you and they look at what you do and they assess your actions. Action by action. And that's why sometimes it is so detrimental when we as Christians live a different life or have a different image. Because people expect things from us. We, we present an alternative. We present something very special. When they see us acting in another way that is conflicting, contradictory, then they come up with two solutions. Either, well, look, you're the same as me. You make mistakes, so what's the point of this stuff? You know, we just do what we do. Or, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You say one thing and you do another. And they're both destructive. Because we are tasked with being light in the world. We are tasked with being a great not only support network, but a presence of truth. We're tasked with being something different. One of the most beautiful relationships of friendship you'll see in the, in the book of Daniel. And that is between Daniel and then the three holy youth. And a lot of people don't make that connection. They think this is one story, this is another story. And of course, you don't read the whole Bible bite, you know, altogether. You read stories. And so the realization that, wow, really? Daniel, wow, they're such nice people. How do they know each other? But they knew each other because they had the same sort of life. Because when Daniel was faced with a challenge from the king, what did he first do? He went back to the three holy youth and they knelt and they prayed together. And when they prayed together, God revealed this wonderful secret that Daniel then went back to the king and told. And that's why it's very heartening when you look at Daniel, and, and if you haven't read the book of Daniel, I suggest you read it. Because the first few chapters in particular really tell you how to live as a good Christian young person and how to be a good support network together as good Christian young people. Daniel 1.8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor the wine of the king's table. Okay. He purposed in his heart. He made a decision. He didn't want to lose his character. The idea was, get these guys who are very good, they're smart, they're attractive, they can be changed into something, change their culture, change their language, change their names. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he was not going to be changed. And he had his friends around him. And they fasted together. And they prayed together. And we're told that when they lived this life of fasting for 10 days, their countenance was better than everyone else who was fed off the king's table. There's an importance to that. That when we support each other to do the right thing in the right way at the right time, there is a power in that. So now like the Syrian says, in all the paths that men walk, they do not attain peace until they draw close to hope in God. What allows you, as a group of people, to stand up to the king or the king's court, as we see in, in the story of Daniel? It's because 
they drew near to God. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they wanted. They knew what they were approaching. So what are some of the practical steps? Realize that in the world you will have challenges. Our Lord was very precise and very clear with his disciples. He said, in, go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Realize that you can't just trust everyone in the world. I don't mean distrust everyone in the world, but I mean don't naively trust everyone in the world. Don't become bitter. Don't become distrustful of the world as a, as a whole. But select your relationships. Select the people. Select your friendships. Be selective of what you want to do and what you want to be part of. And then decide to be bold and to do things because they're right. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Do you really believe? Do you trust in the gospel of Christ? Are you not ashamed of it? Or do we become really apologetic when we're Christians? Well, I, I, I can't do that because, you know, I'm... Do you want to come to this party? No, I just know why. Uh, because I, um, I, I'm a copt, and and we're not allowed to. Um, Abuna, um, Sayyidna. Well, you know, we're Egyptian, and you know, I don't know. I really want to, but I just can't. That's not the way to do it. Be convicted. Believe in who you are and what you're doing. Be strong. I look out and I see a church full of intelligent, respectful, respectable, powerful people. Well, yeah. No, 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 I mean all of you. So why can't you be that way in your, in your relationships and your friendships? Why do we fold under the pressure? Why do we... You, know, you go, go into the whole conversation about alcohol. Is it cultural? Is it religious? Is it scriptural? Let's leave that to another day. And please, in the questions, two questions don't send me. Can we drink or can we have a boyfriend? I'm done with those. I've been answering that for 15 years. Go on YouTube, you've got my answer. Send me some serious questions. Has anyone already sent that one? <laughs> but be convicted. If you decide you don't want to drink for whatever reason, because it's your faith, because it's your culture, because it's a promise you made, because it's healthy, just do it. Don't make, a, don't make excuses. Don't be apologetic. Just do it. If you decide that you want to live a certain life, you don't want to get into a relationship until you're ready, until you want to commit. Just do it. Don't be apologetic. Don't feel like you're out of place with people around you because you want to be in a relationship, because you don't have a person by your, on your arm. Don't be embarrassed by who you are. If you believe in it, do it. If you don't believe in it, find out why. And for heaven's sake, don't just do it because everybody else is. Because you know what? There are a lot of things in this world that everyone else is doing that you really don't want to do. 
Because if you're living in the depths of Iraq at the moment, in certain parts, and you look around your community, and everyone is beheading people, you think that's what everyone does. If you live in certain parts of the world, where people are living promiscuously, in your mind that's what everyone does. If you live in certain gang cultures, where everyone is dealing drugs and in gangs with firearms, then in your mind, that's what everyone does. So don't just do things that everyone does. Be selective. Understand. And be committed. The world is a place made by God in which we are placed to be his disciples and to be his light. He has given us support structures around us, in our families, in our friends, in our communities, in those who support and surround us. Make sure that your support structure is a support structure. Make sure that your salvation does not become your downfall. And make sure that those around you who are supposed to be your rock upon which you climb to find safe ground do not become the stone that is tied around your neck that take you to the depths from which there may not be escape. And glory be to God forever. Amen.